0: Coming to you live from a darkened closet in the KLRN studios. I feel like that was like a movie right there. That really makes me want to keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just turned it off. It's me, Molly, and I'm here with Kieran. Um, um, we are with SA 2020, and you are listening to The Story Goes, a collaborative podcast between SA 2020 and KLRN. Um, it's an opportunity for us to share a more complete story of San Antonio by highlighting the organizations and individuals who are doing things in our community that you may not know much about or maybe you've heard about it, and you just want to hear more about their story in general. And today we are in... The our darkened closet welcome jessica weaver from communities and schools thank you we always try to set it up as hey you're going to come over we're going to go in the darkened closet and we're just going to have a conversation and i think everybody sort of puts it in their brain like yeah yeah sure that's what we'll do and then you get here and you're like oh you were serious (laughs) yes it it fits all that (laughs) description And you've been told nothing else that's it (laughs) we're like we're not sending you questions we are literally just going to sit down and have a chat um hope you're ready i'm ready. Yeah. I've known you, Jessica, for a hot minute, I feel, um, and it was like not just working at SA 2020, but prior to that, like I feel like I've known you for a decade or more, which seems like it always shocks me when I say that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's because I knew communities and schools prior. I mean, you you've been at communities and schools. How long have you been there? So this is my 30th school year. Oh, my so, goodness.
1: Yeah, I probably have met you in between those 30 years. Yeah, yeah like somewhere in there, I,
0: we we hung out. Um, How did you get involved in communities and schools to start with?
1: So I graduated from UT in Austin with my degree in social work. And honestly, my high school coach uh, was aware of the program that had started in Edgewood. Okay. And she was familiar with me graduating with my social work degree and said, I really should look at this. Uh-huh. And I applied and was hired and started At a school in Edgewood School District 30 years ago. What? And then just worked your way up in the organization itself. Yeah. I mean, we were in like four schools at the time. Okay. And, you know, if you you can't help but to just continue to grow and see expansion and see opportunities to do new things when you're small. Well, when you're like... A whole staff of 10, you know, everybody does everything. Right, right. And so you just get to do those things. And so I was just, you know, given that opportunity when we just were really brand new.
0: Oh, my goodness. And you're how long has Communities and Schools been in San Antonio? So we've been in San Antonio since 89. Okay. Um, So about 30
1: years. Is that right? A little more than 30 years. I don't know the math. Uh, What is (laughs) it? Is so 40 years? They've been we, <laughs> close to four, probably 35 to 40 years. Every yeah. single time somebody says, hey, so last decade, I'm like the 90s. <laughs> so, it's not the 90s. Yeah, so CIS started probably more like an 84-ish okay, area. Okay, got it. Okay. And, um, and then by the time I came here, it was just about maybe like Four schools and stuff like that. So very small. But wait a
2: minute. When you went to school for your degree in social work, did you know that you wanted to take that and work specifically in education and with kids? Actually, I knew I wanted to work with kids, but I actually
1: really wanted to do medical social work. Oh. And my internship was in a clinic. Okay. But... I knew kids were my interest because the reason I ended up going into social work is I did a volunteer work as part of my class, and I uh, worked in a runaway shelter Okay, and loved it. Changed my degree plan at that moment because I knew that was it. So kids were always part of it, but I thought it was going to be medical. Okay, Um, Far from that. Now, however... Although it's there, right? uh, Yes. However, when you're working with kids um, with so many different issues very similar in medical social work in the sense of you know
0: there are other issues affecting potentially affecting their medical
2: oh, right. needs
1: That's right. yeah. yeah
0: so you know every time that we talk to the community at large and say like hey what is like the top priority in san antonio that you think if we could get this right we could figure it out right to get us closer to our community vision education rises to the top every single time and i think when we start talking about education or medical or whatever we sometimes tend to if we don't see the full breadth of it, and you just sort of tied it all together, right? That everything is influencing or being influenced by other things all the time, right? So a, a young kid who's sick or can't get to school or doesn't have food at home, right, is also it's influencing and affecting their education as well. Um, and I want to talk more about like what communities in schools is. What's amazing about it is that it says right there in the name, <laughs> what, right? What communities in schools does, <laughs> right? But what what does what is communities in schools?
1: So our goal is really to build kind of a, a support system in schools for students' needs outside of their academic needs. OK. So not that we can't support academic needs, but that's what schools are, are doing. Right. And so if we can build those integrated student supports that really uh, support basic needs, support social-emotional needs, support mental health needs, all those other factors that may be affecting their opportunity to learn or opportunity to be engaged, then we see the whole child. And so our mission is to surround our students with a community of support, which means that we're surrounding our kids with systems that can support them. And it doesn't mean it's us by ourselves. When we can bridge support systems that are out in the community to the school, it helps influence, you know, the support of our kids, but it also takes some responsibility and some help for our our schools trying to navigate through all those things. And so we're really trying to to really bring support systems to our kids. And, you know, we may be the bridge or we may be the provider, uh, whatever way that might be, but looking at the whole child and really addressing um, all the intricacies of human beings yeah. you know it's not one child and right. and really letting um teachers do what they do best.
0: Like teach, you mean? Teach. (laughs) Just teach. And not
1: trying to navigate everything about every child, but having a support system to help them navigate with that because it's not that they don't care. No,
0: of course. They want to be there and they want to support every need, but Mm -hmm. they can't do it all. Right. Well, and I think that's the conversation we've been hearing so frequently, particularly on this podcast and just generally everywhere, is that, you know, one teacher in a classroom full of 30 kids is literally working with 30 different needs at all times. 30 times, right? 30 (laughs) times and 30 and 30, right? Um, And how an organization like Communities and Schools, like beautifully, right, takes away the necessity of the teacher to also be social worker,
2: parent, right? right, Medical dentist, right? Like everything else. Yeah, I would imagine, too, that part of that has shifted and changed within the education system to be responsive to children's needs over the last Three decades, and part of it maybe hasn't shifted. What have you witnessed in your career in this work? So I've seen more shift than not. Okay, um, in these thirty years, uh, when we first started, it
1: was one. It was a kind of an unknown for a nonprofit to be in a school. Like that doesn't okay. make sense. Okay, like, why are you coming uh, into our school? We are an academic institution. Yeah. We do not need you. So, <laughs> yeah. and it was it was just an unknown. Okay. And that's not an unknown any longer.
0: No. And not right. just for us,
1: but for other okay. nonprofits. So that in itself. And then looking at the whole child, mm. I think that's always, you know, you know, been in the intention, but there hasn't really been dedicated resources for just that purpose. Mm. And I do see that um, and I think our last legislative session really showed that 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 we're seeing that schools are are the place where kids are and where there has to be dedicated support systems to support our kids. And then the other thing is really let all kids can't be treated in the sense of um, mm. equally in need. Mm-hmm. Um, there are varied needs right. and that we've got to uh, really recognize the fact that our kids come with varied needs and we've got to support right. um, our kids in those varied needs. So I think those are three big okay. um Things that I've seen really change. Um, But like I said, I really have seen more change than not change. Now, there are some systems that haven't changed. uh, And, you know, not that, you know, there isn't any work on systems, but some of those systems are bigger systems, you know, on, you know, there's always conversations about districts and things like that. But I really think that when it comes to seeing kids, I've seen a lot of really great changes. Mm
0: Do you so you started in four schools, right? Communities and schools that are sort of small, figuring it out. How is this working? Where? How many schools are you in now? We're serving a hundred
1: schools where we have our traditional full time staff in the schools. Okay, and then serving about forty more schools where we provide mental health supports um, in a very in a different way from our normal model. But okay. really, a hundred schools from that norm from that original four schools.
0: When you talk very like talking about sort of varied needs based on a student, um, you know, we've been having conversations in San Antonio recently. And of course, nationally, we keep hearing the word equity, equity, equity. It's become this sort of like buzzword, but it's like such a fancy buzzword. And we know, right, that if equity really is supposed to um, be both a process and an outcome that we're consistently asking, why are we doing this? What are we ultimately trying to achieve if we're taking into account different histories and needs and challenges and then sort of looking at pivoting resources to accommodate those histories needs and challenges it appears to me that communities and schools was doing that long before the buzzword became a thing Um, and i'm curious like how is that just trial and error was it just we are trying desperately to support a student where did that come from so communities and schools so we're part of a national
1: network Mm -hmm. um, and our founder um, he actually started working with youth out of school that's how it all started okay so they would bring create storefronts and try to get them back and get their ged things mm. like that and then at some point they recognize like why are we waiting for that. Ah. Um, and we're our kids every day. Okay. And that's how the school-based programming um, conceptually was brought to um, light. And so in Texas, Governor White decided to make that an, one of his education initiatives. Okay. Knowing that we, um, they were addressing a dropout problem right. and knowing that we had areas of need and addressing kids' needs to avoid keep them from dropping out okay and so it was really built from we don't want to wait till kids um, have all these obstacles and then end up dropping out we want to get there and sooner okay. and help them through those obstacles so that they can graduate from high school and move on
0: it's the prevention intervention conversation right. okay.
1: and then you know the earlier you start with elementary the more prevention you are sure you know mo- moving into but that's really how the model was mm. built okay um, from the national thought process, but then from a state network. And um, Governor White and Linda Gil White, who was an educator, mm-hmm. knew that from being an educator. And right. so that's how conceptually that um, was was. Um,
2: Began. I think sometimes in doing this work, Jessica, we witness uh, how overwhelming folks can get, especially just looking at the breadth of San Antonio's community vision, that there's so much work to do to reach this vision. And when you're doing systems change work on a day to day, it can be hard to celebrate the incremental progress that's being made. How do you stay motivated and inspired in your work and education for as long as you have
1: um, I think you just uh, pay attention to every child story that you hear. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was working in the site, obviously, I had every story, knew them in and out. Right. Um, but I really try to stay connected to uh, if you just hear one story. So a couple of years ago, I decided to help volunteer with some of our group of students in writing their um, college application hmm. resume, uh, their essay. Oh, uh-huh. Not that I was really that much help, but um, <laughs> I just was kind of bringing the story out right. and like, okay, what's going to make you different? And um, I've held on to that story because I still keep in touch with this student and her story was amazing. Um, it was really about uh, finding herself and her senior year. She just talked about, I'll tell you the story real quick, that of she was a decimal point um, in her like physics exam, put it in the wrong place and you know, got it wrong. Oh no. Uh-huh. Right. And what she wanted that to be the theme of her essay, because mm. she finally realized her senior year that, and she had gone through so much in life. She talked about how her story was seeing, you know, more, um, flashing lights than she ever needed to see, uh-huh. not knowing where she was going to live, whether mm. they're going to have cold water, hot water, right. whatever it may be. I mean, she'd just been through a More than most human beings have been through as an adult and having to really uh, navigate that her whole life. But she's her senior year, incredibly successful. And um, she said that for the first time in her life, like she finally realized that she's that she has been that decimal point in the wrong place and that she's finally finding herself in the right place. Oh wow. And so she's now at Lehigh University and as yeah. a writer I would hope like mm-hmm. what and a storyteller. Yeah, yeah, what a storyteller. She's at a you know an amazing university yeah. and we keep in touch, you know, just an email here and there just to say. And you know that one story is changing you, you know can imagine what that life is going to change. Yes. I mean you can't even put right. a data uh, point right. on that, yes. right. let's put a percentage on what that change for the rest of that life is going to be. And so yeah. it's still, and then that's just one. And I, you know, I, I try to hear those from our staff and I recognize that every, every human being that we touch, every child that we touch and change their story or give them hope mm-hmm. is worth everything we do, even if it's just counting one at a time, yeah. you know, let's just say it was one today. And one tomorrow. Um, That's right.
0: The ripple that sort of right, yeah. creates from that.
1: So, oh. um, and mm-hmm. I think part of me is, you know, I grew up really recognizing the difference. Um, I moved and ended up going um, to, I moved districts in the middle of going from middle school to high school. And then I ended up going to UT. And it was it was just a different um environment that I didn't recognize. Um, I was the first in my family, you know, to go to college and things like that. And so I kind of, I recognize that experience and I recognize that if it wasn't for people who have invested in me, I probably would
0: not have Mm. Had a vision, right, to do th- other things, right. And so, well, I even appreciate the fact that you're like, I graduated from college, and my coach was like, "Hey, I think you might enjoy this job." And yeah. thirty years later, yeah. you're like, "I kind of dig it." It's yeah, right. Yeah, I think she was
1: right. Yeah, <laughs> she may have been onto something. <laughs> yeah, and that's like a, a coach, right? Exactly. A side coordinator. Yeah. Somebody in your life invested right. in you yeah. and believed in you, and more than you believed in
0: yourself. And so, I hear that from our kids about their site coordinators all the time. Oh, wow. How does a student get involved with communities in schools? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you pick a student or they come to you? Yeah,
1: so in varied ways. So one is, you know, wherever we are, as a partner um, in that school full time, that staff are there full time. And so in different ways, I think in elementary, um, you really have the administration um, focusing on students that they really want to have some additional support systems and they have some systems in place to identify Um, teachers can, you know, recommend. I think this student could really use some additional support. We've had families come, um, you know, maybe needing some additional support. And so from there, I think at high school, though, you, you have all that, but then you also have themselves. Mm. You know, they have... Um, they can identify it. Yeah, in middle school and high school, you start seeing that. Um, but a lot in high school where they really... Or a friend says, hey, they helped me, mm. Okay, um, you can get help. And I always tell this story also. Um, you know, we just did the Stuff the Bus school supply drive. Yes. That's really big. And a lot of people think they're just giving school supplies, but I don't think people recognize the fact that when we have school supplies in schools, it's a safe place just to go ask for a pencil, yeah. go ask for a paper, go ask for a pen. Yeah. But what it is, it's a safe place to start with asking for a pen and then eventually like... Oh, by the way, can I just tell you? Like, I don't want to bother, you know, burden my parents right now. They're going through a hard time. Mm. You know, not can't afford this. And it's just a safe place to start. Oh, then yeah. you know, it's like you you ask for something really safe, oh, and yeah. then you start telling a little more. And so yeah. I think that it's bigger than just the school supplies yeah. need. It's also like we're here. Yeah. No. I- you know. No. There's no judgment. As right. To There's no why agenda. That, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then eventually just, you know, kids feel like, oh, I have a place I can I think I can tell them.
0: Oh yeah. So,
1: um, so yeah, I mean I think that, you know, people don't recognize
0: how much they do help by Ooh. providing support systems like that. Yeah. You buy a, a thing of paper and some pencils at the stuff the bus thing and throw it in the bus and you yeah. walk away and realize, yeah. oh, I've just given sort of the invitation, right, for a student to talk to someone and right. potentially get more support. Oof. Okay. Yeah,
2: how big <laughs> is the team at communities and schools? I mean, that makes me curious now about sort of what does it look like to have the capacity to serve this many schools and, and to meet the different needs of students at each of these schools. So we are a staff, I think about two hundred and three. Wow. <laughs> okay. From ten.
1: From ten, <laughs> right. yeah, I love that. So, um, it's a it's a actually huge leap from last year. Okay. We, okay. Were, we were prov- um, provided and um, grateful for an increase in funding through the okay. legislative session. Okay. okay, and so we are actually this year adding twenty more schools. Oh wow! Oh. So yeah, and you know, in those twenty schools, you know, it may be multiple staff. So okay. we've added quite a bit of staff. Okay, um, so I am. So when I started with community and schools there was 10 of us right okay. And so we knew each other our families everybody right yes. And so um so the big challenge for me is like I don't have that mm. same right? you know connection with with staff who work right. at a school every day we right. don't even get to see them all the time Okay So yeah so it's 203 and it's different it is different
2: I'm trying to keep that like grassroot level touch points of yeah. course and relationship building both yeah. of the schools as well as your entire team that which makes me think about your leadership and how has it shifted as you talk about the way the education system and the changes that you've seen what are also the changes that you've experienced in your leadership? So
1: you know I think that you're constantly trying to figure out what's the right um, what's this right strategy. Mm. Um, so part of me I want to be I want I hope I can still be the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because I came from working with schools and working with students, that that is my primary interest in the understanding that story. Yes, um, but also navigating, becoming bigger, has been like it takes you away from that part of it. And so as a leader, you're trying to figure out okay, where does my time go? Mm. Where does my time need to go so that I'm a support to my staff so mm-hmm. that they are feeling supported for what they need to do, but maybe it has to go in a different direction. Mm. And I think that's when, as, you, as we've grown, so I mean, in the last five years, we've grown tremendously. Right. Right. And so as we continue to grow, I see myself having to analyze my time okay. a little bit differently and realizing like i am i am helping them from a different lens and they're different maybe um or
0: a different angle. Okay. Yeah, sure. There's also a kind like, as you're telling me, like this growth over the last five years is also something it has to do with leadership, right? Like either understanding we need to pivot and grow some, or we're seeing different needs and must shift. So I assume that takes some of your, <laughs> maybe it takes a little bit of time to grow <laughs> to 200 people, yeah. <laughs> 20 schools in a year. Do you, would you say that the growing, uh, I would assume part of it is, hey, we believe in communities and schools, so let's grow that program. But what is the shifting need in our community that has seen such growth for your organization?
1: Yeah. So I think there's two. Um, one, one is our, our support systems of just case management. Okay. Understanding that the more poverty we have, the more the, di- the schools are feeling it. Okay. Um, so that has had its own growth mm-hmm. from our, from our very, um, you know, model that we've started with. The second big growth has been real mental health. Okay, um, a ton of just mental health support um, mental wellness. And so um, we have cre- increased our team. we started what we found were kids needing support around mental health needs and we would send them you know referrals recommendations and it really wasn't happening as th- at the, the way at the rate we would bring it to. So we just embedded it into our program and we started with one clinician testing that out like is that gonna is that a good model? And we have now 22. Oh wow! Um, Clinicians within our agency, and also trying to you know find other partnering agencies that can also provide that support. So that's a second one. Okay, that's a big one lately. I mean, we really have continued to see that. Um, The third one is around special populations. So we feel being in a school is really us. That's who we are. But we also feel like there are special populations that a school-based model isn't always. Um, hitting that. okay. And so um, one is with our, we have a, a staff now at Haven for Hope. And what we find is that, you know, our families that are going through this period of time of homelessness need somebody in their space, mm. not somebody at the school system cool. waiting for them. And so if we can be in their space helping them navigate and helping their kids get back to school so that we can help the adult, then that's a space that we want to help our kids to still find a seamless um, opportunity to continue to learn while they're going through a difficult time of um, housing right now so what we're trying to do is really address some special populations okay but what the focus is to keep kids engaged in school got it so we're right. not leaving sure. yes. our right, mission right, right because we know that if our kids don't stay on target then, that's right. Then you know the opportunity for them to potentially drop out or lose hope, and that is right. there. And so, so that's another area that we're really trying to do. And one more is we're doing some new work with the adults in the school. Okay. So we're actually putting coaches who are also clinicians. Okay. And they are really just helping teachers and administrators and schools navigate through addressing our kids' social, emotional, and mental health needs. So okay. it kind of goes with the increase of social, emotional, and mental health needs sure. of our kids. It's helping a teacher who sees a student who knows that they are distressed or or something is going on in their life and helping them navigate that conversation. Like, what should I say? What should I not say? And then helping just educate them around um, issues around mental health because that's not there. You know, that's right. not their training. That's right. And we're not expecting them to be clinicians. But mm. the more we become educated, the more we become aware, um, the the better we are in creating healing environments for our kids. And then also just self-care for adults who are mm. taking on mm-hmm. all this responsibility yeah. of the needs of their kids and helping them think of themselves and self-care. So that's uh, the fourth big one
0: that we're working on right now. What you've just sort of painted also for me, at least paying attention, you know, we work very closely with our nonprofit partners and I obviously have sort of a soft spot for what nonprofits do is I think nonprofit organizations were built on community need and pivot very easily to making sure that it's sort of wrapped around how can we help our people. Um, You being in sort of the nonprofit sector for 30 years in this organization, seeing it grow and shift and change and move, what you've just painted for anybody listening is if your mission is real, right, we are supporting students, we want them to stay Mm -hmm. in school and get get through school, then our what we do on a daily basis will have to shift and change as needs change. Mm. And I'm, I'm interested in your professional um, sort of opinion on that must be, um, to me, it sounds so easy Right. To sell. Right. Hey, invest in us because we are investing in students and we shift and change and move as we need to. And we also know that that's so difficult. Right. As need. uh, Mm -hmm. We hear it all the time. Infinite need, finite resources. And you're growing exponentially. And it looks like you've got everything under control. How do you tell the story to just the generic public who might want to invest in your organization or a funder or government who's like, oh, wait, your model seems smart, but it also seems like it's growing exponentially exponentially. How do you tell the story? So, I mean, I
1: think the story is really that we're investing in our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and our, our job is not, um, at risk of dropping out of school. Our job is, um, keeping kids to meet their greatest potential. So Mm -hmm. we are at risk of not having kids meet their greatest potential, which means that all of us will be denied of the Gifts mm-hmm. that each of our kids could potentially oh. bring. And because we've seen it, and so, for instance, you know, we have Ray Saldana, who was a former CIS. Uh, student. Yeah. Ray
0: Saldana, former council member. Right. Right. Who? Chair of VIA board now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. And so you can do, you know, name all the, you know, the, the things that he has been successful with, but not just that is that he's come back to bring it back.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So, you know, councilwoman um, Adriana Garcia, yeah. uh, like she um, is a former CIS okay. student. And what it is, is that it's not the person it's about the opportunity that was given to somebody and the more we can bring, um, adult relationships that bring inspiration and hope to our kids, the more we are going to have the potential to see every kid bring us gifts that have been embedded in them. And so I think about that student who's now at the university, I think about, you know, what we, what we could potentially
2: lose Mm. If we didn't invest in our kids. And so I appreciate um, that. It's like the story is the narrative is in the success of the last three decades. Right. And the people that you can point to and the success that we've had in San Antonio. When it's reframing it completely.
0: Right. It's saying like we would be our community would be at a loss if we didn't help this kid succeed. Oh, I love that so much. We try to change or we try to end every podcast with sort of a call to action. Um, and as the person who leads communities and schools, we're going to ask you to give us one. What is the call to action for somebody listening today? I think the call
1: to action for anyone that's listening to today is been finding out what your gift is mm-hmm. and what you can potentially give to a child or a student or another nonprofit. And I think that many people question themselves about what do I have to offer, mm-hmm. but never go and ask. And I think if If I can just ask you to find something that you are passionate about, find a nonprofit that you find matches that Mm -hmm. and ask. And if you at least do that, then at least, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you have that gift to give or not, because I think that's where people stop as they don't really even take that first step in asking, can I potentially be of any support? So I would ask for everyone to think about their gift, Mm. what they have to offer. And maybe that's a gift of time, a gift of talent, a gift of of maybe resources. None of them are um, excluded from the opportunity to, to make a difference. So that would be probably my challenge is to to find your own gift and figure out if it can fit somewhere,
0: because oh. it probably will. It, I'm sure it'll fit somewhere. Yeah, I yeah. love that so very much. I'm also like, I feel um, indebted to your coach right now. Oh, I'm yeah. so happy that your coach was oh, like, "Go apply example. for this job." Yeah. Um, like, I'm so indebted to this person. Um, I thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having yeah. us and being able to talk about communities and schools. I, we're I'm now every single time one ends, I look at Karen and go, "Now I'm obsessed with." Communities in like oh, okay. I'm obsessed. I love hearing more about uh, the organizations that are doing
2: things in our community that just make it better. It's like a good reminder that everyone is capable of affecting change.
0: Every yeah. single person. You just got to say, hey, I'm ready. Um, you can find out everything about uh, the what you've heard today on the podcast at slash the story goes. Um, yeah. Say, I've got a gift and what can I give it to you? That's the thing to do. That's your call to action. Go give people your gifts.